0: You ready, man? You ready to get vocal a little bit? Ready, yes. Come on, dude. All right. All right. You gotta bring it, dog. You gotta bring it. Well, it's just ask the Lord to. How about that? Hey, Lee. Good to see you again. You look lovely today. You do. Buzzing, man. Hi, doing, buddy. We love you. Yep. Yeah, you too, buddy. All good. Hit that hit that note on the the last p- chord of the song. So I guess that means we're ready to go. Um, uh, let's uh, open our Bibles to Second Peter. We're going to continue in our series in just a second. As you're opening your Bibles to Second Peter, um, I'd like to take an informal survey. Y'all ready? There's no nobody's you know video in this. You don't have to feel bad or nothing. Well, I guess people have phones. Everybody could be video. I don't know. All right, so here's the informal survey. How many of you have grown children? Your children are grown up. Y'all look around. It's a lot of people. Praise the Lord. Keep them up for a second. How many of you would say, those of you, right, that your relationship with your children now that they're grown is better than when it was when they were teenagers? (laughs) Like like more people's hands went up. Like not, not just stay up, but more Okay, praise the Lord for that. How many of you rest joyfully in the knowledge that your kids grew up well and now you anticipate a lifelong journey of, of just joy in your family? Praise the, I mean, okay, so let me ask it on this side then. How many of you are adults in your 30s and you still have your parents around and you love and appreciate your parents now more than you used to when you were teenagers, if you're like 30-ish or something like that. Listen, there's something to this, y'all. So, so let, me, let, me, let me throw this at you. We're talking about spiritual growth and maturity. Why would you expect any less in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Why would you expect it to be any different as we grow through our spiritual teenage years, and get to spiritual adulthood and maturity, would you not anticipate a much sweeter personal relationship with your Heavenly Father? Well, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So in our series, it is on spiritual growth and maturity. We're studying the book of Second Peter, and we're just beginning. We're still in chapter number 1, and a couple of weeks ago, the last we saw were in verses 5, 6, and 7, where we did a very quick flyby of seven things that you were to add to your faith. And this was God's prescription for spiritual growth. This is the way that God raises his children. And if you want to cooperate with that, you will grow according to the prescription that God laid out. And so it says, add to your faith virtue, and add to virtue knowledge, and add to knowledge temperance, and add to temperance patience, and add to patience godliness, and add to godliness brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness charity. And so we understand this principle. This is the way that God works. And we saw those things defined. And we reminded you that in our ministry tools and training class, I'm just com- I just completed eight weeks of lecture virtually just on that passage of Scripture. Where we went into great detail. And if you've completed personal discipleship, man, sign up for those classes. Because there's a lot of great stuff that you can get through that. But the thing that I want you to understand as we go through this series is that God expects every single one of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to grow in our faith to full maturity. Never is there an accepted level of mediocrity with the Lord. The Lord expects us to continue to always grow. And that's really good news because no matter how far you've come, there's always something more to strive for. And that's, that's, that's great news for me anyway. And if you will grow through the struggles, and Lord knows we always have them, right? And if you will grow through those struggles and not blow it, right? Well, then you're gonna enjoy some promises that God has for you. And the one I wanna emphasize for you today is John chapter 10 and verse number 10, where the Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life And notice that they might have it more abundantly. So this is the subject for today's lesson. And I've given it the title, How to Guarantee Abundant Life. How can you guarantee that you actually experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ talks about? Well, similar to my informal survey and the sweet relationship that mature adult children have with their parents, mature adult Christians can have an ever more sweet relationship with their Heavenly Father. But we can't bypass the first part of that verse, verse 10, because you have to notice there is an enemy. He's called a thief. And his mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy your ability to achieve full maturity and experience that abundance that God wants for us. So what we need to do is we need to be on guard for Him. And so we need to watch, and we need to pray. And we have been praying, and we're going to continue to be praying. But this is the theme. This is what God has for us. And so there's two main points that we're going to be looking at today. And the first one in your notes is this, the conditions of abundant living. The conditions of abundant living. You can fill that in. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read, starting in verse number 8, and go all the way down to verse 14. You can just follow along. As I read, starting in verse number eight. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our lord and savior Jesus Christ wherefore i will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though you know them and be established in the present truth yea i think it meet as long as i am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly i must put off this my tabernacle even as our lord Jesus Christ hath showed me so on the heels of understanding these seven steps of spiritual growth What we see are some amazing promises that lead us into this ultimate promise of what is abundant living. But the first point intentionally I want to point out to you is the conditions of abundant living because it is conditional. It starts in verse 8, it says, for if, if, that's a conditional statement, if these things be in you and abound. So there's a, a condition to experiencing the abundant life. So in your notes, I put it this way, the phrase, these things, that's the seven things you need to add to your faith from verses 5 to 7. Notice those things are listed, verses 5, 6, and 7, directly into verse 8. For if these things, these things are those seven things that you add to your faith. And you'll see the phrase, these things, several times in this little passage of Scripture, always referring back to those seven steps of spiritual growth. They represent your growth and the path to full maturity. And it says, if they be in you, well, if all seven be in you, then what is happening is you are growing to achieve full and complete spiritual maturity. It says, if they abound, well, if they be in you and abound, it's not a stretch to take away that you have an abundant life, right? He wants our life to be abundant. He wants us to abound in these things. So this is the condition, continually growing through these seven steps. And if you will do it, letter A, if you will continue to fulfill the condition, then there's a promise. And it's an amazing promise. It says, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Man, praise the Lord for that. Neither barren nor unfruitful. Wow, that means you'll have fruit in your ministry. That means that when you take the time to go and to share the gospel with other people, there will be fruit. Not every time, of course. There will be fruit. When you take the time and the effort to spend regularly teaching and helping others become disciples of Jesus Christ and grow them up in their faith, there will be fruit, and that fruit will remain. If you yourself are continually growing through these seven phases of spiritual growth and maturity, God promises you will never be without fruit. You will never be barren. You will never be unfruitful. It's an amazing thing. And every fruit, listen, fruit comes in its season. There's no question about it. And I'm so thankful that even this week was a good season for me because I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a guy and he got saved. It was the greatest thing in the world. You never know what may come your way. You have to always be ready And that is a process of continually, regularly working your life through continued growth. Now, if you're thinking about your own life, and and you should be thinking about your own life, and, and maybe it's been quite a long time since you've noticed any visible fruit in your life, can I just ask you, have you even tried? Have you tried to share the gospel with people? When's the last time? Have you tried to make disciples? Listen, I get it, it's not fully dependent upon you. Others have a free will. But if you're not trying... Well, you know how they say, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time, right? So I'd rather fail aiming high than succeed a- aiming low, amen? amen? So let's do that. So, but others, man, they try, but they never seem to have visible fruit. Well, here is a promise of fruit, but it says you've got to meet the condition. There is a condition. Think about it this way. Physically, little children, they're not physically capable To reproduce yet. We get that. Well, spiritually, we have the analogy then. If you are a babe in Christ, if you are just starting to get your spiritual legs under you so that you can, you know, toddle around, well, okay, there's time yet for you to grow. But the thing we need to understand is is that ultimately reproduction is the goal. Things reproduce after their kind. Sons of God reproduce sons of God. And reproduction is the result of a healthy love relationship between the bride, the church, and the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. So really the question is, how is your love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it says, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful, but the phrase continues, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ wants to have an ever-increasing love relationship with you. He wants to have ever more personal intimacy with you as a believer, and with all of us corporately for that matter. So really, this is just about knowing Jesus better and better, and seeing that relationship grow. How does that happen? Well, add to your faith virtue, and add to virtue knowledge, and add to knowledge temperance and add to temperance patience. Do I got to keep repeating this? I mean, it's in there. This is worth memorizing, by the way. Listen, these are all necessary steps in your journey of getting to know your Savior better and better. And let me just say this. At any point where somebody derails their growth by being willingly disobedient to the clear commands of Scripture, they also immediately cease that personal intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a truly close-knit, personal, intimate relationship, you know what's the characteristic of that? It's sharing secrets. You think about the person, the other person in in this life, typically it's your spouse, it could be a best friend, it could be somebody like that, that you are closer to than anybody else. The Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe it's that and you have somebody in your life that knows you so well, they know all your secrets, and you know theirs. Why? Because you love each other, and you have trusted each other, and you have grown together. That's what true, loving, intimate relationship causes. So we have examples of this. You have the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian that's been known in the history of the church. Great missionary, greatest New Testament author. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the first three verses, he talks about a story about a man that he knew in Christ, and most of us believe that he's he's referring to himself in the third person. And he went up into heaven, and he saw amazing things. And he says, whether he was in the body or out of the body, notice this, notice the phrase, I cannot tell. Listen, friends, he does not say, I don't know. He knew. (laughs) He knew exactly what was going on. He was just sworn to secrecy. The Lord showed him some things that the Lord said, Look, Paul, I just want this to be between me and you. Don't tell anyone. So he says, all this stuff that happened, he said, Yeah, I'm I'm not allowed to tell. I can't tell. Uh, John, the apostle, the closest of all the 12 apostles to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who laid his head on Christ's breast, and literally heard the very heartbeat of God. Similarly, in Revelation chapter 10 and verse number 4, with this prophetic picture of the end, he tells John to seal up the things that he just showed him. Don't write these down, John. So there's a bunch of things written in the book of Revelation that you and I have access to. Whatever this was, we don't have access to it. That was personal. That was the Lord, and that was John, because of their love relationship being that deep. God showed him some secrets. Daniel, the great prophet in the Old Testament, full of wisdom, great picture of the Holy Spirit, third in the kingdom. Hard-pressed will you be to find a record of sin in the life of Daniel. Hard-pressed will you be. In Daniel 12, similarly, God said to him, verse 4, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. There's just some things that Daniel was going to get and nobody else was going to get. So let me just ask you something. What's God showing you? I mean, when's the last time that you spent intimate time with God and His Word, and He just threw something at you, and you thought to yourself, man, this is kind of wild, and you just knew, you just knew. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just going to run out and share this with everybody. I feel like God just wanted this for me. God just knew that I needed this. Man, that's intimacy. That's what that's all about. But I want you to notice something like, for example, in all of these examples, whether it's Paul or whether it's John or whether it's Daniel, this intimate knowledge that they shared with the Lord, you know what it had to do with? It had to do with seeing the future. It had to do with future things. So letter B in your notes, if you don't meet the condition, right, then there's blindness. So if you do, there's going to be fruitfulness, right? But if you don't, there's going to be blindness, So it goes on and it says, but he that lacketh these things, what are the these things? Uh, It's those seven things that you add to your faith. If you lack them, the Bible says you're blind and you cannot see afar off. So that means that you're severely nearsighted. We would call that being legally blind, okay? Maybe not totally blind because you can see a little bit apparently, but you just can't see afar off. But they're called blind. You can't see afar off. Person still has vision, but they can only see up close. Typically, people like that can't drive, they can't ride a bicycle, they can't play sports, they can't enjoy a sunset, can't take notes in a classroom. People like that need a lot of help from others. Do you ever notice how people who can't see afar off walk? Well, they have to walk by feeling things, don't they? Are you tracking with me? Have you ever noticed how Christian people who are blind spiritually and can't see afar off walk? Come on. They walk by their feelings, right? That's how they walk. Because they've lost their vision, because they can't see afar off, because they lack these things. That's how important these things are, y'all. They're that important. Listen, don't kid yourself. In your notes, I put it this way. Spiritual vision is seeing the future. Spiritual vision is being able to see what has not yet occurred. Anybody can see what's going on here and now. Anybody can see what's happening right now. But biblical vision is prophecy. It's prophecy. And I gave you a reference in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 where God is giving the vision of the 70 weeks of the last days to lead up to the second coming of Christ. And I just wanted to point out that the vision and the prophecy are used simultaneously because that's what biblical vision is. It's prophecy. And prophecy, in your notes, paints a picture of the future. And faith lets you see it now. Faith is believing God at his word, right? So prophecy paints the picture of the future. God's word reveals these things. When you believe them, when you put them into action, when you actually believe that what God said will happen, then the light goes on in your mind. Then you can say, whoa, I see that. And God uses that. These things happen as you are growing regularly in your faith by adding to it virtue first. Knowledge, second, etc., etc., etc. You have to follow the prescription. So, immature people in the Lord always are going to get caught up with what is happening now. They can't see what God is doing, and they can't see what will come of it. That's a sign of immaturity. So, Teenagers love you guys, man. Mean it truly, but typically, you just got to know that we actually know you typically can't see the consequences of your actions. And you know, the, the MDs tell us it's not totally your fault, your parents would say it's kind of your fault, but totally okay, your, your, your brain isn't fully developed in the area that can actually measure future consequences of current actions. So you got that going for you. Okay? So, we always knew it. You know, teenagers have just a little bit of, as they say, Dane Bramage. <laughs> and so, but it's okay, man. I mean, you can work through. Okay, so now, with this picture, so I mean, we love you, man. We We're here for you. Okay? Okay, so what we're doing is we're making spiritual analogies now. So, Spiritual teenagers, they've grown. They've learned some things. They're getting stronger. Their bodies are developing. They're they're exercising. They, They know some things. But they still can't quite figure out how to see the consequences. They can't see afar off the things that their actions will require of them later. They can't do it. And all it is is a measure of the fact that their growth and maturity is just somewhere in the middle still. Praise God, it's in the middle. Praise God, you're not at step one. You're just not at step seven yet. We're still working through it. You see that? So that's why in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, and not only so, but notice this. This is a phrase that we read and we say we believe it, but come on, y'all, this is a tough one. We glory in tribulations. I mean, really, who's doing that? I mean, come on, glory in tribulations. Well, it tells us why. Why? Because we, right, knowing, we're gonna know some things. We're gonna see down the road that'll help us to be able to glory now, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience what? Hope. And what is hope biblically? It's the understanding of things that are future and that they are absolutely certain. You have to have vision to see that. If you have vision, then what can you do today? Man, when tribulations come, you can actually glory in them because God is working something far greater. That's Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? Everybody loves Romans 8, 28, but frequently forgets 29, You've got to bring them together. And we know some things, right? What do we know? That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's a verse you should memorize. That's a verse that will encourage you when you're down. But why do we know that? How is it possible that when things seem terrible, we can know that they're good? Well, because of verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of, of his son. There you have it. Because Jesus is going to use even the stuff we don't like to make us more like Jesus. And because we know that, we can know that even those things are for good. How in the world can you possibly do that? Keep growing through all seven levels. That's how. Y'all, this is not that hard. I'm kind of going back over and over and over because, you know, It helps me. (laughs) But I want you to notice something else, and this is in your notes. Not being able to see ahead goes together with not being able to see behind. Isn't that interesting? It says, And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about not being able to see far off in the future. And he says, Oh yeah, oh by the way, you forgot also about the past. So, when you go back and remember, think about it, where you came from. Think about it, y'all. Think about Some of you have to go back, praise God, some of you have to go back 50 or 60 years to think back to when you weren't saved. Man, praise the Lord for you guys. Some of us, it wasn't that long ago. The idea is this, think back in your heart and your life before Jesus, B.C. days, before Christ in your life. Think of what he delivered you from. Think of what you experienced. Think of how he changed you. Think of how he has brought you every step of the way, faithfully providing and leading and loving you through all of the things you have been through in your lives. Remember those things that he did for you. Should that not stimulate your vision? to make it through what you're going through today with the knowledge that in the future he's going to continue to always be there with me as well? Why should I falter now? You can't forget where you've come from. So I like to say it this way. If you don't know where you've been and you don't know where you're going, don't kid yourself thinking you know where you're at. That was actually worth writing down. I didn't put it in your notes you ought to, I ought to seriously consider writing that one down. I'm not writing it all down for you. You got little pencils in the pew. If you don't know where you've been and you don't know where you're going, man, don't pretend you know where you're at. You're like a golf ball in high weeds. And you know what? This is so important that Jesus instituted a church ordinance. We call it Communion. That's how important it is. He instituted a church ordinance, the Lord's Supper, communion, so that we would always remember. And that's the first purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's a memorial. It's a memorial of what Christ did for us. He broke his body for us. He shed his blood for us, for our sins. Amen? He suffered so we don't have to. And you're to remember that. You're to remember it regularly. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24, you know, whether you eat the bread or drink of the cup, do it in remembrance of me. Do it as often as you do it, in remembrance of me. It's a memorial, second purpose, self examination. We could call this personal maintenance. It is a memorial, it is personal maintenance, it is self examination. Check out your own heart and make sure that you're not harboring any sin when you come to the Lord's table. So in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. When you come before the Lord, it's a time of self-examination. It's a time for you to just get alone with the Lord and pray and say, Lord, is there anything in my heart, is there anything in my life that is hindering my close fellowship with you? And if there is, now's the time to confess it. Now's the time to take care of it. And that's the purpose. That's the second purpose. It's self examination, but it goes beyond that, y'all, because you got to get this. The third purpose relational examination. And, and in your spare time, I just wrote down John chapter 13. And John chapter 13 is John's gospel's version of instituting when the disciples sat with Jesus during the Passover supper, where, when he instituted the idea of the Lord's supper for the church. But John 13 version deals with that story where Jesus goes and washes the disciples' feet. You know the story? And notice the story. He washes the dirt off of their feet, and Peter, you got to love Peter. Peter figured it out. I mean, he wrote these epistles at the end of his life. Verse 14, he knows he's at the end of his life. Peter says, Lord, you're, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then I can't have any part with you. And Peter's shocked, and he says, well, man, don't just wash my feet. Wash everything. (laughs) And you gotta love his heart, right? I mean, he wasn't quite tracking, but his heart, man. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, no, you don't get it. I don't need to wash everything. You've already been cleansed. Picture of salvation. But having already been cleansed, walking through the dirt of this world your feet pick up dirt and what you need is regular times where you stop and let me wash the dirt off of your feet you know what we call that confession you know what you should do you should allow jesus periodically and regularly just you don't need a whole bath again if you've been saved you're eternally secure but he needs to wash the dirt off of your feet that has been picked up walking through this filthy world that we live in. And then he turns around and he says, what I've done to you, here's, this is it, y'all, you gotta get this. This is setting up communion. What I've done to you, you go do it to one another. You go do it to one another. In other words, what he's saying is, go to one another. And forgive one another for whatever difference you might have between you. What is confession? Lord, forgive me for what I have done to put a rift in our relationship. So can you go to your brother in Christ and do the same thing? Can you take your family relationships and make them all clean before you go to the Lord's table? Because that's what he wants. And so once upon a time, we did a lesson on the Lord's Supper years ago here, and we called it the Lord's Supper is not a table for two. (laughs) It's not just you and Jesus. It's all of us and Jesus. And so we're going to have the Lord's Supper on March 5th, and and I'm just going to tell you something. You know, Typically on a Sunday morning here, we might have 500 adults in this room, maybe 600 adults in this room, whatever. We have the Lord's Supper on a Sunday night. We might have 200, maybe 200 that come, maybe less. I mean, where's everybody else? Where's everybody else? I mean, if you were a, if you you decided, I want to be a covenant member of First Baptist Church, you would have said, I'm going to be faithful to these things. And this is a church ordinance. This is commanded that, why did he command that we do it? So that we would not forget that we have been purged from our old sins. It's that important. He needs for us to continually visit the table. He needs for us to continually refresh our communion with him personally and with each other before him. Man, who knew the Lord's Supper was in Second Peter? It's awesome. So the condition for having abundant life is that you grow through all the steps, and if you do, you'll have fruit, and if you don't, well, well, you're lay out of seeing. Because one of the characteristics of the Laodicean church is they're blind. They're blind. You don't want to be like that. All right, second point in your study, the counsel for abundant living. We saw the condition. Now we're going to look at the counsel. Starting in verse number 10. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So it's very simple. What is the counsel God has for you? Well, it's apply diligence. Apply diligence. In other words, keep at it. Be diligent. Don't quit. It, it's defined for you very well, It's not like you really need to have a definition, but just for the sake of giving it to you Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4 He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, a slacker. He's lazy. But, contrast, the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Why? Because the diligent work hard, and the lazy guy doesn't. So he'll end up poor. Proverbs 12:24, "The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute." So it's contrasted with people who are lazy. And what you need to do is give diligence in your Christian walk. You need to work at it. You need to work hard at it. It's an effort. It doesn't come automatically. And it says that you need to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and election sure. Side note, Bible study for people who are aware of it. This is the death blow to Calvinism, right? The Calvinistic system says that you were unconditionally elected unto salvation. You had nothing to do with it. God decided. Lucky you. You made it. The other guy who didn't make it, you know, stinks to be him. Nothing he could do to change it. That's what they think. It's a lie. It's wrong. It's a heresy. If they think that, and so many people do, ever more popularized, by the way, among young adults today. I don't understand why, but it is. I think because it feeds their intellect, thinking they're smarter than everybody. It's just not biblical. Just not biblical. Because how is it possible, young Calvinist, that you have to give diligence to make your calling an election, which is supposedly unconditional? How do you make sure of your calling an election? It's impossible. Well, of course, it's impossible. Their system's messed up, right? How do you give diligence? How do you do that if something is just given to you passively? It can't be passive, it has to be something that you actively pursue. So let's give the context of what he's talking about when he uses the words calling an election in verse number 10. In your notes, biblically, you are called and elected to service. You have free will to choose salvation, friends. If you have never understood the grace of God, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin and every human being ever, if you've never understood that, it's not by God's eternal, sovereign, predestinated decree whether you get it or not. Absolutely not. You have a free will. You can choose to say, yes, Lord, I would like that free gift of salvation like many of us have. Or you can choose to say, eh, no, I'm still thinking about it. No, thanks. But you have the free will. But once you make that decision and choose to be a part of the body of Christ and surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, Then he places a calling on your life. Then he elects you to walk this path that ultimately will make you conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You are called and elected to service. Notice some of the references. Romans chapter one and verse number one. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, a position of service. Separated under the gospel of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation, sounds like somebody's got a job, wherewith ye are called. You are called to live a life of holy obedience. That's what you're called to do. And so he says, I beseech you, man, do that. Walk in such a way that shows you're worthy of the vocation. Wherewith you are called, you're called to do something. First Peter chapter two and verse 21, "For even hereunto were ye called. Well, that's easy. <laughs> because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in His steps. So Christ suffered for the benefit of others. He left us an example, and you are called, Christian, to that example, to suffer for the benefit of others. That's your calling. We could go to 1 Peter 1 and verse number 2 where he writes to his audience, elect, a court. Notice, notice what this election is all about in 1 Peter, again, the same human author. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that doesn't mean that he predestinated you, it means that he knew what would happen in the future before it happened. He had foreknowledge. How does it happen? Through sanctification of the Spirit, for what purpose? Unto obedience. You see that? So you are called, you are elected to walk a life of obedient service. And so if you will do that, letter A, if you will give diligence, right, then there are promises. Saw that before. The first promise is you'll never lose your balance. Praise the Lord. If ye do these things, there it is, it's conditional, right? If you'll do them, if you'll give diligence. If you'll do these things, these things, right, these seven things. Here's the promise, you'll never fall. Man, that's awesome. Why do people fall down? They lose their balance. That's simple, isn't it? I mean, this is really deep, y'all. Write this down. You fall down because you lose your balance. Come on. You fall down because you lose your balance, right? Well, this promise deals with our life today. Live your life, your Christian life, in balance. I, I think we have a slide with a balance diagram. Is that next? Okay, so... Those of you who come here regularly are familiar with this because this is a diagram that describes the seven core values of First Baptist Church. The Word of God is the middle, representing the fulcrum of the balanced scales. And on the left side, you have the great commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the left side references underneath the scale who we are. These are things that have to do with who I am in Christ, right? And the thing on the right side is the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? And so that has to do with what you do. So you're going to balance in your Christian life who you are, who God made you, with what you do. And all of it has to be balanced on the fulcrum, the foundation of the Word of God. Now let me just tell you something. I don't know how you find yourself in here, but if you can keep these things balanced in your life, Well, that's a demonstration of your continued growth and maturity. And if you can keep them balanced, well, you will never fall. It's just that easy. Because this represents a balanced life. You really owe it to yourself to just ask yourself this question. How am I doing with that? Because if you're here and you're tired of the roller coaster ride of your Christianity, where you're up one day and down the next and up another day and down the next, well, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe you're not diligently pursuing to make your calling and election sure, so sure that you will never, ever fall again. Can you imagine the promise? I can walk with the Lord until he takes me out of this world knowing that I will never fall again right if i continue to give diligence right i get it we have to be careful you know take heed let him to thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall i get it but the taking heed is the giving diligence right that's exactly what that is so the promises never lose your balance and the next one number two never lose your reward man this is awesome so it says an entrance right An entrance is going to be ministered unto you abundantly. There's an abundant life. Into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, man, your entrance, this this has to do with the next life. So the last one had to do with this life. This has to do with the next life. So we're talking about abundant life. And one of the promises of giving diligence to grow continually through your process of growth is the fact that you'll never fall But it also is that, man, you're going to have this abundant entrance into God's kingdom. What exactly are you talking about? Well, think of it this way. Whether or not you enter into God's kingdom is determined solely by your salvation. I mean, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, you will enter, right? But that's not what we're talking about. Your rewards right, are going to be dependent upon your service how much diligence you have given to pursue it all of your life. So this would be the cash equivalent of the ticker tape parade for the champion in a particular sport. Think back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, some of you went there, right? The parade in downtown Cleveland. Man, that was crazy, right? Think of that. The winners receive the ticker tape, right? I mean, that was awesome. To be eclipsed only by the cubs. Sorry. But anyway, it was, I mean, it was great. Winners get those parades. Right? I know, I'm sorry. I had to. I couldn't help it. So you know what God tells you to do in your Christian life? First Corinthians nine twenty four. Know you not that they which run in a race run all? Everybody's in the race, but one receiveth the prize. So here's your application run that you may obtain. Man run your race so that you get the ticker tape. Right? That's what he's talking about as opposed to the also ran crowd that we would find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 starting in verse 11. For no other foundation for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's your salvation. Now if any man build upon this foundation, that's your service, right? It's either going to be gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Then it says every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Everybody's busy, y'all. Everybody's busy doing stuff. But when the Lord tries your work, he's not going to try how hard you tried, Sorry, young adults, no participation awards for you. What sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But notice verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yet so as by fire. So the idea is I go to the judgment seat with what I think are all the things I did for the Lord. And then, you know, the fiery gaze of those eyes of pure holiness look at me and all of a sudden, you know, it's like flash paper. <laughs> and, you know, my little arm hairs are singed and I'm, you know, I'm kind of and I and I make it in. I get to get, I get to go in cuz I'm saved but I got nothing. I got nothing. And you don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to be that guy. Somebody is. You don't, want that, you don't want that to be you. There's an entrance, but it's not an abundant entrance. Okay, so if you do do that, I mean, man, you get rewards. You get, okay. But if you don't give diligence, letter B, we're almost done. There are reminders. There are reminders. So Peter says in verse 12, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of there it is again you see that phrase popping up these things these things these things these things why do you keep repeating that these th- well that's what peter said he was going to do i'm not going to be negligent i'm not going to be slothful in other words if you're not going to give diligence to apply these things then i'm going to give diligence to keep bugging you about it how about that and you say well i do apply these things well, I'm gonna keep bugging you too. Sorry. Because that's what it says. Listen. Have you ever come to church? Don't say it out loud because that'll be embarrassing. Have you ever come to church and wondered? I mean, why does that preacher keep talking about the same stuff? I mean, I mean, doesn't he know? We got that. You ever? Don't don't raise your hands. Really. That. I mean, you ever? Want, of course, you wonder that, right? Well, what does Peter say? Wherefore I'm not being negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. I know you know this stuff. In fact, not just that, he says, though you know them and be established. Look, some of you know them and actually do them. Praise the Lord. But repetition is the key to learning. And we have to be reminded all the time. It's just good for us, it's just healthy, it's just helpful. I mean, you can't always just expect to be running around and only hearing something new. That's what the carnal lost Athenians did with Paul and Mars Hill, Acts 17, 21. All the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to either to tell or to hear some new thing. I want to just hear something new, man. Tickle my ears with something new. That's carnal. Because here's the deal. When, when you're really growing, and a lot of you are really growing, for sure. And, and when you're in your path of growth really, truly needing more information, you know Jesus is going to be faithful to make sure you get it, right? So in John 16, 12, Jesus says to his disciples, I've yet many things to say unto you. You're just not ready. When you're ready, I'll make sure you get it. Listen, there's plenty of new things available, for all of you to take advantage of, if you're interested. We have a path for growth that includes personal discipleship and ministry tools and training and the Living Faith Bible Institute. Listen, we can give you more information than you can stand. I'm telling you. And uh, it's just whether or not you're ready, whether or not you're able to bear it, whether your life is at a point where you need it. When your life's at a point that you need it, there it will be there, it will be there. So it's my job, y'all, it's my job to apply diligence in reminding you always. It doesn't even matter if you're doing them because it says, and established in the present truth. Because like it says in verse 13, yea, I think it meet, suitable, appropriate, as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, as long as I'm here physically with you, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So the goal of all this repetition of, of the basics, what do pro athletes do? They drill the fundamentals, right? And so the idea is, man, is to stir you up to, keep you to m- get you to move or keep moving, right? Because God knows we all get weary in well-doing. It happens. So the counsel for experiencing an abundant life is to apply diligence. It, it's just that simple. You know, it's easy to get forgetful. It's easy to get lazy. And we just all need to be stirred up at times. That's why faithfulness to this local church is so critically important to your success and abundance in your life. And so my job is similar to that of a personal fitness trainer. So a personal fitness trainer who's working with an athlete Man, that, that person who's being trained after time, they're in good physical shape. But sometimes they're just tired. I just don't want to go to the gym today. I just don't want to eat whey protein. I want pizza. I just, I just, I just want to watch Seinfeld. You know, whatever. And don't judge. Okay, so you need, you need a trainer, if you're going to be serious. Why? Just to push you Come on, man, five more reps. Come on, you can do it. Three more. Come on, let's go. We're gonna, Hey, I'm going to be at the gym at 5 a.m. I expect you to be there with me. You need somebody just to push you. And so that's what your leaders in church are. They're your spiritual fitness trainers. That's what we're here to do. We're here to push you. We're here to remind you. We're here to tell you why it's so important that you need to spend time with the Lord every morning in His Word and get good nutrition. Why you need to be involved in ministry so that you get good exercise. And you're doing it all the time and you stay spiritually fit. That way, you're giving diligence. That way, you're maturing. That way, you enjoy an abundant life. Y'all, this is for your good. Just like physical fitness is for your physical good. All right, we're about done. Verse 14, Peter knows he's dying. Peter, somehow or another, you know, Peter has some knowledge that probably most of us are never going to get. He knows that his end is near. He knows he doesn't have much time left on this earth, and he says so. He says, I have to put off this tabernacle. The Lord showed me. It's near the end. Now, there are some people in the Bible that God showed that their life was near the end. Jacob was one. Moses was one. Aaron was one. Joshua, David, Paul. I mean, there's other people who knew that their end was near and they didn't have much time left. And whether you know it or you don't know it, the thing I want you to see is this Peter's life in the last moments. You know how it is. If you've ever been by, the deathbed of a loved one maybe a grandparent or something and 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 they maybe they were medicated for some time but then they got lucid just enough to leave that nugget of parting wisdom okay if you've ever man, that can be a very precious time and and a, and the last departing words of a human being before they leave this earth man those are even admissible in court i mean those are those are precious words peter's at the end and his life is consumed with not teaching them something new. Oh, I forgot to tell you this cool thing. No, it's to stir them up to do the basic things that will keep them growing for the rest of their life. You know why? Because Peter understood what we need to understand. The work of the ministry is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And listen, I I don't know whether you even recognize it, but I recognize it for you. You deep down want to live for something bigger than you. You do. That's why people use words like legacy. You want to live for something bigger than you. It's not just about you and me. He wanted to make sure that the grave could not shut him up. It's awesome. Hebrews 11, verse 4, talking about Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtaineth witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts and notice, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Because the message goes on, even though Abel's gone. Because otherwise the work will cease. And let me just tell you, I served for 14 years in a country where the work ceased, and there were no Christians after one generation. None. We can't let that happen. Peter had the same attitude the Apostle John had in that last little epistle of John, Third John, 1 chapter, verse number 4, where John says what we should all say as parents, right? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that's Peter's thought. That's, that's his thought for his, his little children in the Lord. So my question for you is simple, and it's your point of application for today. Are you currently experiencing the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised? Only you can answer that question. And, you know, there's no point in trying to fake it or lie. Just ask the Lord. We're going to be singing in just a minute and time of reflection and response. And, man, answer that question honestly. Are you currently experiencing an abundant life as Jesus Christ promised? And if not, well, I mean, that's fine. Uh, uh, Thank you for being honest with yourself and the Lord. The question is, does it interest you? Would you like to? Would you like to experience it? Well, most of you would, or you wouldn't be here. But listen, in order to do that, you've got to meet the condition, right? You've got to understand that you've got to keep growing. You need to give diligence. Keep working on them. God will teach you exactly what you need. And man, he will give you peace that passes understanding and joy unspeakable that will be the strength of your life. I want to invite you all to pray with me. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, i want to lead you in a prayer. And we'll be done. And I just want to ask this question very briefly. If anybody's here and would say, man, I think I understood something about salvation I never understood before, and I'm not sure that if my physical life ended today that I'd have a home in heaven. Well, man, I just want to pray for you. Nobody's going to bother you, I promise. But if you're here and you say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be, man, I'd just like to pray for you. I promise. We we don't bother people like that in this church. We just want to pray for you. So if that's you, would you just hold your hand up and just hold it for a second? I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all? I see somebody upstairs. God bless you. Anybody else? Downstairs in the back. God bless you. Thanks for being honest. Anybody else? Just put it up and put it back down. We're just going to pray. That's all. Amen. Over here, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. For the rest of you, you'd say, man, I I know I made the decision. I know I've I've chosen to follow the Lord, but wow, I've kind of derailed my spiritual growth. And God showed me, man, I got to get back on it. I have not been diligent. But today, God showed me, man, I need to be diligent. And I just want to pray for you too. Again, we're not going to bug you, but if that's you, man, I need to apply diligence. God specifically showed me. Would you raise your hand too? I just want to pray for you. There's a bunch of hands all over. God bless you guys upstairs too. Thank you so much. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Really, when we get into it, it's just very simple. Man, you, you make it very clear and your Bible is holy and right and just and perfect. And man, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Man, thank you for this letter in 2 Peter and thank you for the promises that you, that you provide. But you expect us to respond. So I want to pray for all those who would say, man, I don't know that I've ever been saved, but I want to be. Lord, there's no magic words, but in, in their own words before you, if they would just cry out, man, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I've blown it. No question about it. But I don't want to go to hell when I die. I want to go to heaven. I, I want to live forever. I want to do what's right. So please forgive me my sins. Please come into my heart and my life and Give me a new life. Man, I want to follow you the rest of my life. I don't even know what all that means. I just know that I'm ready for a fresh start. So please, Lord, save me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I'll follow you from today going forward. And Lord, for all the brothers and sisters, man, that they, they, they love you. They know they know you, but something's happened. Something's gotten in the way. Today's the day. They need to just hit the reset button. They need to give diligence. And Lord, I pray that even as we sing this last song and receive an offering to your glory, maybe some people just need to get out of their seats where they're at, come down front, get on their knees and cry out to you and just beg you to give them the start that they need. Lord, you work all things together for our good because you're conforming us to your image, but we have to cooperate. So we commit these things to you with humble obedience and thankfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand up with me? Like I said, we